All right. I think we are live. Here we are with the, I think this is the sixth episode. Is that right? Is this episode six? Uh, probably. <laughs> episode <laughs> six of the Sound Advice Podcast with my good friend, Nick from Toys DIY Audio and your boy Rob from Hi-Fi Vega. Here we are. We are hanging out and we're talking crossovers tonight. So really so quickly, guys, I thought we renamed Hi-Fi Vega. I thought his new name is 10K. Oh, man. We can't. Um, I want it to be 100k. Oh, let's get let's get to that one. One tenth of 100k. Yeah, one tenth of 100k. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome. So I wanted to talk about crossovers tonight, guys, because um, several reasons. Well, first of all, I find them to be really interesting. Um, they they're really complicated, but they're a, a important part of all audio, no matter if it's co a car or home or pro audio. Every speaker needs a crossover, and every crossover needs a speaker. You really can't have one without the other. Hey, how are our mic levels, guys? Are they good? Mic check, one, two, three. Mic check. I'm, I refuse to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're good. <laughs> awesome. Um, I want to start off by telling a story, and um, and I don't know if uh, the third era is in the chat yet, but he, he, he might remember this. My second ever YouTube video was a crossover video. And uh, so I just kind of dove right into something really hard. And while I was putting that video together, I was also trying to design my own crossover. I'd watched some of Nick's videos and I had XSIM out and I had a bunch of capacitors and coils. I was modeling in XSIM trying to figure out how to make a Bluetooth boombox with, uh, y'all remember that Blampunt, uh, Blampunt radio, the $10 radio that um, Williston Audio Labs, I was going to use one of those for a boombox. And so I'm trying to learn everything I can about crossovers and I'm reading about slopes and you know vessel and all this other stuff and it's mostly just gibberish and so what i did was i i was watching a youtube video where someone was going to show you how to set a crossover and it was one of those channels i wouldn't call them one of the big channels let's call them a mid-sized channel and this guy jumps on and he has an amplifier and he takes his uh his multimeter and he probes the outputs plays a test tone and says okay i'm playing an 80 hertz test tone he takes his screwdriver and he starts turning the crossover knob and he says, we're going to wait and we're going to turn the knob until um, the voltage changes, right? So the voltage was some steady number 12, what? And the second the voltage changes, the crossover set. He turns it, the voltage makes one little minor change. He says, aha, we're done. The crossover set. Which and I got to say, that video is actually on our, our website, Sound Advice live show. It's, right. My, my first video, right? Yeah, uh, yeah we my are. My second video. We are making um, everyone see that. And so that video was kind of me looking at what he did and me thinking that does not sound right. And, and so I figured, how can I figure this out and then actually prove that I'm right? So I sat down with a spreadsheet. I sat down with a formula found online and I started doing some math. What I do whenever I, whenever I'm trying to solve a problem, my, my go-to thing is to grab a spreadsheet. It doesn't matter what problem it is. I'm just going to grab a spreadsheet. Um, and so I do a bunch of math and I get a bunch of numbers and I think, okay, I should be able to take a voltage, multiply it by this number, turn the knob down. That should get my crossover set. And I was sitting there thinking, how am I going to prove that I'm right? Well, I, I, I do this thing. Do y'all do this? I do this thing where I order a piece of gear and the piece of gear sits on a shelf for weeks before I get around doing anything with it. 
Oh, you yes, mean like, that, that's like the, these the tweeters YouTube I live. still haven't? <laughs> yeah, I've actually got tweeters over here as well. Oh, geez. Well, I, ah, look at that. I had a DSP just sitting around. And so I hooked the DSP up and I, you know, hooked the, hooked the multimeter up to the amplifier and, uh, or the outputs to the DSP rather, and, uh, and made the adjustments to verify that my math did what the DSP said it would do. Hmm. And, uh, and I just threw that out there as my second ever video. And I've, I've always been really curious about crossovers because it's kind of a mystery. And I still look at that video and go, boy, I kind of hope I didn't do it wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then something kind of cool started happening. People started watching my videos and they started grabbing a multimeter, going out to their amplifier and doing what I did, right? Testing and see what happened. So that was kind of cool. It's kind of like the way like scientists operate. You've heard the scientific method. Well, that's not how scientists no. actually operate. They, they, uh, they read an article in an academic journal and they go, hmm, I should do that too, but with one minor change. And they go out into their lab and they try it and they write the results and send it off to the journal, right? So it's more like a conversation where people are continuously trying different things. And some people reported that they got the exact result that I got. And some people reported that they got nothing close to what I got. And I started to get really curious as to why everyone got different results. And so I started doing more research on crossovers. So that, there's an easy answer to that. Uh, the ones that got the wrong results were the ones using foreign cars. That's so. <laughs> They're using metric volts. They're using metric, yeah, and the voltage <laughs> flows differently. We all know that. We're in the good old U.S. of A. We don't use metric volts here. <laughs> no, we're one twenty, baby. We. <laughs> <laughs> and so people were testing their amps, testing their DSPs, testing all kind of things, and and what I've, I've figured out, and a couple of commenters kind of posted that apparently there are different types of crossovers. And after doing this test with the DSP, I'm not convinced that the DSP was behaving the way that the crossover type it was supposed to be actually was. And so I've learned there's all these different types of crossovers. And that's just talking about what you can do with a DSP or an amp on an active crossover. And when I read specs for amps, they don't do a good job of explaining how the crossover on their amp is actually functioning. That's a good point. So, and that's the same, whether you're talking about home audio or car audio, because for example, home audio with uh, subwoofer amplifiers, for example, they have subsonic frequencies and some car amplifiers have them as well. I know some don't, you but mean the infrasonic filter. Oh, so, I knew that was coming. I was waiting for it. I almost jumped in. I was mm -hmm. like, no, Justin's got this. <laughs> I, like, I just want to be clear. We're all talking the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> so just so you guys know subsonic and infrasonic is the same thing so it's the same thing some industries call it a little bit different but uh yes and you don't know is it a second order is it third order or fourth order? i mean typically most people assume if it doesn't say it's a second order but then again if it is a second order what type is it? Is it a Bessel? Is it Linkless Riley? Is it, you know, which all makes a difference when you're trying to integrate your speakers. And it's, um, it's interesting too. Um, you know, a lot of comments on it and one person kind of jumped in and commented, have never seen anyone set a crossover with a multimeter. 
like, well, great. I'm glad you saw my video before those other guys who made videos doing attempting the same thing. <laughs> and he said that I didn't do it the way the AMP manual did. I don't recall ever reading an AMP manual, right? So what's, well, what's the AMP manual say you're supposed to do? And the answer was you adjust the knob until you can't hear voices anymore. <laughs> I mean, okay. You know, see, so that's, that's another issue, right? Because, that's all dependent on your subwoofer. Exactly. There's a whole lot more to it. Which, than that. which right now we're talking about. So, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it can and cannot be right. Because the lower you turn that, like, for example, if you had a subwoofer with a rising low end, for or rising high end, I guess is what it would mm -hmm. be. So if you have it rising at 100, 120 hertz, your simple, normal 80 hertz crossover, it might still really be up there really high where those 100, 120, 150 hertz, which can still have voices on them, even 200 hertz, could be audible. So you might want to set your crossover lower. You might still be at the crossover point that you want to be at or you think you want to be at, but you might still want to set it even lower so you don't get that. But typically, that's only an issue when you're running your bass real hot anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think... I, I can't think say typically, but a lot of times. Manufacturers are, are just you know, CYA. So they're trying to get something that everybody can understand yeah. and it's something simple and they know you're going to be within a general ballpark and it's probably going to work for you. It definitely won't be exact, but I, I think that's what they're shooting for and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it, but you know, that's, that's the thing. Like when we talk about, and you know, right now, of course we're, we're focused right now on subwoofers just because that's, that's where Justin started off. Of course, I think we're going to talk about a bunch of different crossovers as well, but in subwoofers too, there in home audio, there was always this thing. There was a standard called THX standard that came out and, you know, George Lucas was kind of the father of that THX standard or part of that with his star Wars movies and a couple other things that came out and, people were always excited about that standard. And that standard would say, you need to cross your subwoofer over at 80 hertz. Because we know subwoofers in general, after 120 hertz can become localized, or you can start to hear where the subwoofer is from. And usually with bass, we want that to be unlocalized. We want it to be all around us. We don't want to be able to point to it and say, that, oh, there's the subwoofer. So they would say, hey, 80 hertz is the best thing. You don't get voices out of it. And, and it's just a very wide generalization. And and I think the majority of people nowadays in home theater, at least, would say that was just their standard. And your subwoofer and speakers are really going to dictate where you're going to cross and, and your room, for that matter, are going to dictate where you're going to cross those over at. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Um Rob, where do most car audio subwoofers cross over at? Um, I think the standard for a long time was probably 80. But for me, typically everything I see are people are around 63 to 50, somewhere around there. But on the high end, 80. 63 to 50. I, yeah. I, that's much lower than I thought most people would use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not really covering that. I mean, it's basically 60 to... 30 hertz basically in the car right and, and that's what you you just you want to get your impact from there and your mid bass is going to take care of everything up there that's why you see a lot of three-way sets because people are running heavy mid bass and then they have a mid-range and a tweet to fill up everything else 
You know, I think that's one thing we got to talk about and make sure people understand when we talk about crossovers, because we specify these crossover slopes and the slopes are specified in decibels per octave. Right. So an octave would be either a, a doubling or a halving in the frequency. So uh, if you go from 100 hertz up to 200 hertz, that's an octave. If you go from 100 down to 50, that's an octave. And I'm not you know, a, a music guy, but that's kind of my understanding of it. And if you're crossing over at 60 hertz, eh, well, halfway down, an octave down is 30 hertz. And oh, in car audio, the, the subwoofers are all tuned to 34 hertz. I mean, you're, how, much, how much music are you actually getting out of your big expensive subwoofer when you've only got an octave and a half of sound and, and, and you've got to worry about your tuning frequency? Yeah, and well, see, the thing is, that's people do not want. They want the feeling of the subwoofer. They don't want the the actual sound of the subwoofer. Most people in cardio, they're going for that low lows, even into the twenties or the teens if they can, you know, kind of home theater level stuff. But as far as like hearing their, a lot of people do not use their subwoofers as mid bass like we used to back in the early, you know, mid nineties. A lot of people would cross, you know, subwoofers maybe up to even 120 hertz, so you can get that little extra mid mid bass kick. Yeah, but here's here's the issue that we have when we're talking about subwoofers, or at least the issue typically we have in in home audio. There's a couple things. Uh, one, it's hard to get a subwoofer that goes really good from 120 to 20 hertz. Okay, you can do it. I did it with an 80 dollar subwoofer that's going to be coming out this week. Uh, you can do it. It's definitely possible to do it with the right size boxes, the right size, you know, subwoofer. But uh, what they've come to find out, first of all, our ears are not very sensitive to distortion in bass frequencies. Uh, some people can say you can get up to even 10% distortion before you realize that you hear it in a bass. Um, you know, obviously everyone's ears are going to be different, but that's what some people will claim. However, mid bass, and up as you go up it's easier to hear that distortion and so in home audio a lot of times you'll see people crossing over by 120 hertz because by doing that you save the distortion from your mid bass or your main speakers those main speakers don't get that distortion anymore and in that mid bass region so you you get a much cleaner sounding speaker you can play it a lot louder and get that cleaner sound and then let your subwoofer handle the rest and, and if you ever have you ever sat in an SPL vehicle, either one of you? Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No. So I'll tell you, this is what happens a lot. You see them using a lot of pro mids so they can get loud, right? What they're doing is a lot of them are crossed over at 50 hertz or even below 50 hertz on their subs. And their mid bases are crossed over to 120 or even, even higher than that, sometimes 180. So there is literally no music between bass and I mean, you're really not even getting a true mid bass. You're getting kind of a loud mid range and a tweet. It's, hang on, it's hang not on. a, it's not a we good have, experience. We have to be clear here because when you said they were crossed over it at whatever, my thought was that's where they're high passed at. Cause that's one of those terminology right. things we've got to understand. So uh, a high pass means the highs get through the crossover. And a low pass means the lows get through the crossover. So you're saying they would have a low pass filter on the subwoofer at 50, 50 hertz, hertz or lower. 
right? And then they'd have yeah. the 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 mids high passed at 120, so there's nothing from. No, 50 no, the mids would be high passed at 50 hertz, and then low passed at 120. They're they're playing between 50 and 120, basically. Is all no, no, the mid bass are paying from 120 up. Oh, so what's so there's between? a gap. There's oh. yeah, there's a huge gap in there. That's weird. I don't like that. It is weird. It. I mean, you probably wouldn't like it if you sat in the vehicle either, as far as music goes, because they're just they're literally melting your face off, and it's it's bass. When the bass cuts off, you're melting your face off and destroying your ears. Hmm. Yeah. So, but you know what? This this goes back to one of the things that we're going to talk about later is also what slope are they crossing over at, right? Because most of the time when we think slopes, we think second order, which is 12 decibels down at the next octave, which would be a, a major loss there. But if they're doing like a six decibel first order slope, then maybe it's not as bad as that. I mean, it, it could end up being okay. It's it's weird, though, that they're crossing over like that. Well, and I, the, the true voice of reason has a good uh, good comment to that. He said a gap just like Bose. <laughs> no, the Bose doesn't have any lows. <laughs> no highs, no lows must be Bose. That's it, and, right? It's just mid-range. <laughs> you know what? Bose was smart because they played the sounds that no one ever heard, and they always would put their systems on their own little demo screen. So you would listen to the music and you'd be like, oh, that's really great. And then, of course, you're sold on it because of the name and everything else. But yeah, the guy is smart. I mean, you can't, you can't argue with his marketing technique it, it worked uh, most people would not call it audiophile but yeah well I got, i've got a great question for you guys let's see let's see how you handle this how you can explain it explain this to me like i don't know anything about crossovers that shouldn't what be hard the, what is a crossover <laughs> slope and how does it affect your sound justin do you want to say anything i'll, I'll tell you i'll i I know that you know more about it than I do, Nick, but I'll see if I can give it a shot because I oh, might yeah. be able to explain it differently. So uh, the slope of the crossover is basically a way of quantifying how fast uh, the sound's going to roll off, which would be the inverse of how fast the crossover component creates resistance, if that makes sense. And so if we talk about decibels per octave, if you were to have um, um, 100 uh, hertz, so one octave down would be 50 hertz, you should drop six decibels going from 100 down to 50 hertz. If this were a, I guess that'd be a high pass filter because you're, you're dropping the bass off in that case. Does that make sense? Is that an even decent way of explaining it, Nick? Um, you know, you, you can explain it how you want to. Uh, I think we'll all explain it a little bit differently. I was trying to find a good picture of, you know, the different slopes. I just couldn't really find one between the first, second and third order, but the, the basic premise is a first order is going to be a much shallower uh, crossover, okay? It's a much shallower slope, I should say. So it's going to cover more in the bandwidth of the crossover and beyond. Now, that can be very good for a lot of reasons, especially if you're using like a full-range speaker or something of that nature, because um, if you're not getting distortion in there, you can start to get, you know, some of those off-axis. It can be, it can play a really good role. It can get you a really good-sounding speaker, a lot of people don't like first orders because the problem is you you get too much of maybe the tweeter or the mid range playing into the range that the tweeter should typically just be handling. Uh, so first orders are 
are a little bit less used nowadays. Most people are going to second order. Those are more of a 12 decibel slope. 12 decibel slope, once again, cuts off faster. So the advantages of something like a 12 decibel slope would be you have the advantage of being able, oops, sorry, you have the advantage of being able to cross over a little bit later, right? Because like when you look at like a tweeter or something, we're going to talk about the FS of a tweeter, which stands for its resonant frequency. If the tweeter's resonant frequency is 750 hertz, we typically want a second order crossover of at least two times that for the best sound. So 750 hertz, you'd want it at least at 1500 hertz. Now that's a rule of thumb. Rules can be broken. Rule of thumb, okay? So 1500 hertz. So 12 decibel slope, you can cross over sooner. If you're doing a first order crossover, I'm sorry, if you're doing a first order crossover, you're gonna have to cross over much sooner. Third order crossover is even better because you can cross over later. So you can then cross over, you know, maybe at 1200 Hertz or something else. So if your woofer is a bigger woofer and you need to cross over later, you can do something like a third order crossover because once again, it'll bring that FS further down, which is what we want. We need that FS down and we need wherever the distortion is happening in that tweeter down as far as we can. So it's not audible. Yeah. And, and the way I would explain it to people like simply is the separation between drivers. The lower you go on the decibels, the less separation you're going to have. If if you have a really steep, you know, 18, I've seen a lot of people using 24 dB uh, slopes. That's going to be a very sharp separation in the sound of, of that one driver to the next. Yeah. And another thing that I'd like to point out is, which we haven't talked about, is mid-ranges, depending on the size of your mid-range, at least in home audio especially, they have what we call beaming. Are you guys familiar with beaming? Concept B. Yeah, we're we're both yes. nodding our head, which is a, which is of no use to our uh, <laughs> listeners who are going to listen after the fact on the on SoundCloudShow.com. So the easiest way that I point out on beaming is take your hands and cup them around your mouth. Right. The further you cup them around your how your mouth, the further spread your voice goes. The more you cup them around your mouth, the less it spreads right? So every speaker, depending on its size, will start beaming at a certain frequency. The bigger the driver, the sooner it will start beaming, okay? So a 15-inch driver is going to beam or narrow. Right. What? You mean the lower it will start beaming, right? A large yeah, driver yeah, will sorry. beam at a lower... At a lower frequency, right. You're going to have to cross over sooner. I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you for that direction. So if you cut your hands together it's going to start doing that much sooner. So if you want that really wide, expansive soundstage, you need to get a tweeter or mid-range that can cross over lower with a bigger speaker. That's why you don't see a lot of two-ways with like 15-inch drivers. Didn't you just build a two-way with a 15-inch driver? I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I built the Clone. And you know what? I'll go ahead and share this just because we brought it up. Uh, this was from one of my patrons. He, I actually designed these for him. I also designed them because I thought I'd use them in my outdoor theater, but uh, he ended up getting them. And this is what he had to say about these. And this is, should explain to you why a crossover is so important and why the correct crossover is so important. Uh, so this is the PA-15. I'll link the video for you guys. But uh, this is what he said. They're great. I love them. I wasn't an audiophile before, but I think I'm turning into one now. Listening to music now is more enjoyable than I thought possible. I can see the music now. Karaoke is on a whole new level now, too. 
I love the I love the clarity of the sound they produce. No discomfort to the ears. You don't realize how loud they are until you try to talk to someone because the purity of the sound is so clean. And when you do a crossover correctly, that's what should happen. You should get that wide expansive soundstage. And that in that particular case, I used a third order on the tweeter so I could cross over much later, but still keep the distortion out of the signal. And I, I wonder when the DSP revolution is going to start taking over in home audio like it, it does car audio. It's almost passives are really a thing of the past unless you're doing a very simple setup. Uh, with just, a, you know, you're just doing a simple upgrade, a component set up front and some rear fill in the back, something like that. But in home audio, passives are the gold standard. So do you, do you see a lot of crossover coming the way in home audio? Or do you think passives are here to stay? I I don't. Uh, I, I don't for quite a few reasons. One, um, as soon as you move those speakers, like in a car, it's a stationary object, right? Your car stays there. You're, you're not moving your seats out or whatever, but in home audio, you might move your speakers from room to room every month, you know, or, or move them every once in a while. The other thing is in home audio, one of the big selling points is high-end amplifiers. And I don't see high-end amplifiers letting DSP get in their way. Because as soon as you start that DSP, that DSP is typically it, in home audio is often built into the amplifier. And so now we're starting to take away from their share. And I just, I don't see it happening. Plus they already have room DSP for like home theater and stuff. But I think two channel music purists, I mean, think about it. Two channel music purists are still stuck on class A amplifiers being the best and tube amplifiers being the best. They're very slow to go over. And that's the people you'd have to sell on. And I don't, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Well, and that's the funny thing about car audio. Car audio is a two channel uh, sport, I would say. That's what everyone does. No home theater or 5.1 surround sound. It never really made, I thought it would make the transition in the early aughts, but it, it did. We're still here at two <clears throat> channel. What do you think about that, Justin? You know, I, I, I remember um, you know, being a kid in the 90s when I had no money, <laughs> right? And I, I feel like I say this every episode. All this gear, home gear, car gear, was made out of unobtainium. I think about the high-end amps that Nick's talking about. Now, we're talking about $25,000 amplifiers here. Where, you know, these are high-end stuff. And I and I remember when I got out of car audio, or, or at one point, I remember when 5.1 was kind of moving its way in. And it was sold as DSP back then. But something weird happened between, I don't know, let's say 1998 when the last time I bought any car audio equipment and about 2012 when I started buying more car audio equipment. I bought an Alpine head unit. It wasn't anywhere near top of the line. And that sucker had a crossover and it had some DSP functions like time alignment. When did we start seeing crossovers show up in electronic form on our head units and on our amplifiers uh, in car audio? The the first ones I can remember were the high-end ones. Uh, it was even early 90s, late 80s. You were the very high-end one in the mid-90s. You're talking, you know, the higher end. And then somewhere around 2010, even the very cheapest head units have some form of, uh, you know, it's not a real DSP, but a DSP. You got crossovers. You got time alignment. Um, sometimes you got speaker level even. So, I think it's just been a, a short evolution. And it's kind of like Mercedes. They have all these high-end features that they start with, and then it filters down into the cheap ones. I think it kind of happened the same way with car audio. Hmm. Yeah, and I think in home audio, really around 2000 
is when they started doing it on home theater style receivers. You know, they started doing like the first Yamaha Y Pow, things like that. And now they're now they're going up to Odyssey and Dirac, and there's all kinds of different ones you can do nowadays. And but doing every driver, someone brought up a good point. Jesse said, uh, you know, you would require a lot of amplification to amplifier for every driver and every speaker in a 7.2.4 setup. So when I'm talking about that DSP that they're offering, they're just doing basic room correction, right? That's all they're yeah. doing. But when you guys are talking about DSP and you're talking about DSPing every driver. So think about if every speaker was a three-way speaker in a 7.1 system, and then that's 21 amplifiers, 21 DSPs. And then you got the Atmos modules, which are going to be at least two ways. So now you got another eight. I mean, that's almost 30. Well, add your subwoofer, assuming you only have one subwoofer. That's over, that's 30 things that you have to DSP manually. And then if you ever move them, you have to redo all that. I, I just don't see it. No. Well, plus they're going to try to charge you $10 million for that amp anyways, because that's how home audio is. They <laughs> they command a premium for anything that they do. Yes. It, <laughs> I, you know, once again, I don't see it. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen just because I don't see it. Oh, um, uh, Moto Man uh, 22 at Gmail uh, made this comment right here. And I think I remember that crossover. I think I had a buddy who had one of those. And I remember those old school crossovers because back in the day, if you wanted to do an active setup or even just not even a three way active, but just three way active altogether, subs, mid range, mid range tweeters, you had to go with a, a big, expensive external crossover. And my recollection was that those weren't cheap at all. And now, I mean, you can get a DSP, a cheap one, for almost what that cost. And so, Rob, what, what happened to those um, old school, you know, external crossovers that uh, that used to rule the day in car audio? They they all got built into our amps, and that's what happened. <laughs> they they started putting them in the amp, so it was already accessible to you. You know, back in the day, before DSP was huge, the way you would do it is you would have a crossover. You would have uh, 31 band graphic EQs, you know, actual analog EQs. And not only that, but you'd have, you'd have two of them, one, one for left, one for right. And uh, then the way you timelined your speakers was uh, you just placed them in the perfect spots. And that's how you got your imaging. And it's certainly not as good as you can do it today, but you know, it's, it's what people did. And in those days it was well out of my range to be able to do something like that. But um, you know, kind of as I grew, I understood more what they were doing now. And I wish I wish I would have been hip to that back then. But back then, I was just more of like, uh, let's just play some bass. Let's just turn up the bass. Now, yeah. I remember amplifiers having full crossover features on them back in the day. And I kind of feel like like some of these uh, onboard crossovers aren't as advanced as they used to be. Maybe it's because I'm only buying cheap gear. But I've got something here. This um. Again, this system has been sitting on a shelf for a while. This is an NVX JAD 800.4. It's a, a, a clone of one of those Phillips board amplifiers. Um, and I don't know how well you can see the controls with the light and the focus, but this thing has got like Not the well. full setup crossover going on here um, where you can um, you can set this thing up to be uh, a crossover between a tweeter and a mid or between a set of components and a subwoofer or something like that. It's got this button on it. Oh, um, you muted uh, yourself. There ah, you 
I was like, what's just happening? Yeah. <laughs> I hit the mouse with the amplifier and the mouse is right <laughs> over the mute button. <laughs> but it's got the uh, the frequency times 10 multipliers on it. So you can, yeah. um, so the, the crossover runs from 50 to 500 hertz. You can hit that times 10 and now you've got 500 to 5,000. So you can use it for so much stuff. And uh, this amplifier mostly just sits right now. I need to put it in something. I need to do something with it or sell it uh, because it was a real good amp and a good bargain. But there you go. I mean, that yeah, right some there. some of them even have like I I was playing with my Kicker KX four hundred uh, four channel and it has bandpass uh, crossovers on it on the rear channel. So some amps you know have that and that's a super bonus right there. And that'll that'll do that. It'll it'll bandpass so you can um, yeah. you can send a signal to a set of tweeters and uh, and I don't know why you need one hundred twenty five watts to a tweeter. I guess if you want to melt your face off uh, loud yeah. tweeters. And that, you know, that, um, Nick, that, uh, that big PA speaker you built that your, your patron loves so much. Um, oh, you know, I when I, so yeah. when, when he says like, you can see the music, what he's talking about is, and, and it's so it's crazy. Those speakers are amazing. I put them about six feet apart and when it's going right in front of you, like if you close your eyes, you literally believe that person's singing right in front of you, like on stage. It's, it's just, it, it's a really neat experience i, I don't and think a lot of people have experienced that and when you do you're yeah. you you won't go back and and i think that's what he meant when he, he said you know i've never been an audio file before but now maybe i am and i don't know i mean it's so cheap to build it's like 500 bucks i mean it's it's yeah. so well when, so, when someone says they can see the music that's imaging that's imaging right there and, and a lot of people don't understand what they're like i can see the drummer's clearly over here the guitarist is here you can kind of feel the space that's imaging so if you're ever in a car and you notice that that's what you are the center of the image or you're pretty close uh in that range and it's neat too because when even though you have speakers to the right and left it sounds like the singer when the singer is singing is directly in front of you, even though your speakers are here and here, it doesn't sound like it's coming from here and here. It sounds like bam. And then like you said, when it's supposed to sound over here and over here, it does. It's just really neat. I'm sorry. I cut you off though, Justin. That's a, I was going to ask. So that, that speaker used one of those compression drivers in a, uh, in a, in a, in a waveguide. Yeah. Um, Man, those compression drivers are crazy efficient. How did you build that speaker so that you didn't, you know, have ear bleeding from the 20,000 Hertz, you know, the, <laughs> uh, the so, dog whistle sound, you know, believe it or not, that just came together really well. Sometimes with crossovers, you end up doing all kinds of weird things to them. Sometimes you end up putting notch filters on because uh, you have to notch out something that's, that's too loud. That's hurting your ears. Or sometimes you have to put a Zobel network on to be able to, you know, match the impedance to get everything right. But uh, this only required a second order on the, the woofer and a third order on the tweeter with a very, very small uh, L pad, which doesn't take up a lot of power, which is good. The thing is, those woofers are 97 decibels efficient already. So that whole speaker comes out to be about 97 decibels efficient, which means that with one watt of power one, watt, one meter yep you're three feet away you can play those to 97 decibels and the reason why that's so good and the reason why he says hey you know that's really clear is because when you can get really efficient speakers like that your amplifier doesn't have to push much and because your amplifier doesn't need to push much guess what you get less distortion and so you get less distortion from the speaker because the speaker's not having to be pushed much and you're getting less distortion from the amplifier because the amplifier is not heating up as much. So overall it ends up being a much cleaner, clearer sound. So 
You mentioned some stuff that I'm not that familiar with, Notch and Zobel, and I've, I've heard these terms before, and I, I look at them and go, I don't know what the hell they mean, but I've heard them. <laughs> but what I'm hearing you say is that a good crossover design can basically use physical uh, hardwired parts that act like an EQ. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that will act like an EQ, and EQ it however you want. So, for example... Atmos, um, Bulby Atmos came out with a standard. I don't know if you guys are interested, if you guys know this, but they have what they call upfiring modules, which sit on top of your speakers and fire at the ceiling and come back down. They have a special notch filter that they've designed specifically for that so that you actually get a rise in your frequency response at a certain frequency and then a dip because they feel like bouncing it off the ceiling that gives you that effect that you need. Um, there's a lot of people that don't ag agree that it does, but they they have taken that design of that notch filter and have patented it so that if you want to create Dolby Atmos up firing speakers and have that Atmos, you know, logo on there, you have to have that notch filter. So just I've got a couple of props here. And so kind of walk me through this. So um, as we because I want to do is I want to kind of talk about a passive crossover network and what parts are in it. And uh, talk about like a six decibel versus a 12 decibel versus an 18 decibel. Um, and then kind of use that to kind of demonstrate what a notch filter looks like if you were to see one on a schematic. So that's a that's a capacitor. And this is from uh, the Tritrix kit from Parts Express because I had I made a center channel. So I had extra parts. And so I just keep these around for props. If you wanted to make a six decibel per octave first order, they call that a first order filter. All you got to do is put one of those in series with whatever it is, your whatever your speaker is. Is that right? That's correct for your tweeter. And so we sell these in car audio and we call them base blockers. Right? Same thing. So, yeah. Yeah. You, so you just got to get one of the correct, uh, they're measured in microfarads. I don't know what the heck a microfarad is, but that's how we measure these things. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't pick a microfarad out of a lineup. And so a base blocker is just appropriately sized so that it keeps the lower frequencies out of your, out of your mid range speaker or whatever. Um, and so you, a microfarad is smaller than a farad. Yes, that is correct. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, this is just what a base blocker is. Uh, you just got to get one of these at the right frequency. And it's only six decibels per octave. And so it's not going to filter out a lot of bass. Right? Um, well, I don't know. You know, ma mainly when they when they put those as base blockers, they put them on like a tweeter a lot of times for a bass blocker and basically what it's trying to do is just protect the tweeter more than anything else. Get it frequencies that it's not going to, they're going to damage it. Um, typically when you see in car audio, and I, I don't mean this negatively because they do it also in home audio. When you see like really small little dinky crossovers, it's usually not that good. I mean, it's just right. typical. That doesn't mean it has to be that way. There can be some very good first order crossovers, but typically I've, I've taken apart a few speakers, you know, you go to a yard sale and someone's got some old speakers with the, the cones have all rotted out and taken them apart to see what's in them. And there's a whole lot of little teeny tiny capacitors in line with the tweeter. And you're looking at it like, ah, I can't possibly sound good. And so Rob, you know what that is? It's a coil. It's a coil, right? So they call that an inductor. And so if you right. put this inductor uh, in series with a woofer, it's going to be a, 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 a tweeter blocker. It blocks out the high frequencies. And so just an inductor in series with a woofer will give you a six decibel per octave uh, crossover. And then where things get tricky is if you put a, put a, um, a cap 
in series with your, and for those listening, I'm holding up the capacitor. If you put that in series with your speaker and then run the, the, the coil in parallel. Well, put um, it the other the way because it's it's wrong the way you're doing oh. it. Is it because I'm mirror imaged? Yeah, you're mirror imaged. <laughs> I'm mirror imaged, right? It's the mirror. So if you do it like that, um, and you've got the coil in parallel, now you've got a, a second order or a, a, um, a 12 so, decibel per octave high pass filter. So just to clarify for those listening, because it may not make a lot of sense, what he means by in series is if you have your positive line coming off of your amplifier, wherever, wherever it's coming in from your amplifier, you would run that coil, I'm sorry, the, the capacitor uh, directly to, in between that positive wire coming from your amplifier to the positive wire of your speaker. Um, and then you would run the coil, if you're doing a second order, on the after the capacitor, and then that would touch the positive of your um, speaker, and then the other side would go to the negative of your speaker. And so if you wanted to do a 18 decibel proctave, it would look something like this where you've, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nick. Because for for a tweeter. Kind of, yeah, for a tweeter, for a, for a, this would be a high pass filter. So maybe even for a mid range, if you were trying to cross over from a woofer to a mid range, sure. uh, any kind of high pass. So you basically got two capacitors um, that are going to be in series and then a, um, an inductor would then be in parallel. And then a 24th, uh, you know, a fourth order, a 24 decibel slope would then be, I don't know. I'm, I'm running out of hands to hold this up. No, you you're right the first time. Yeah, sure. right, <laughs> you add another one of these in parallel and then you've got, and of course they'd be the same size probably. It's just ones I had laying around. So they're not a good example. And that's kind of what that 24 decibel per octave slope would look like on a passive crossover. Yeah. And I, I would say to most people just, you know, I feel like people get caught up. Should I use a first order, second order, third order? Don't even worry about it. Like don't, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't even be part of your thought process right now. Get the basics down, such as where should I at least start thinking about crossing over? Where should maybe my FS of my speaker be around? Things like that. And then start working it. And if you're starting with a fourth order crossover, I, you're you're starting in dangerous territory. I mean, I think you should, most people should start with either first or second order crossover. After that, um, you know, yeah, I, you're it, building your own, right? Not if you're taking an amplifier and flicking a switch, right? Well, yeah, in, or if you're doing DSP. But I would even say that even with DSP, you know, a lot of people think, well, a DSP, I'll just throw some numbers in a DSP and I'll be good. And that's not really how a DSP works. So keep that in mind too. You can get really bad <laughs> results by just throwing in, hey, I want a fourth order crossover at 2400 hertz. Uh, yeah, and you do it on both both speakers that's not how that works and that may not come out really you might be upset with with how I, you, did, I did have how one you. question i wanted to answer here from the chat from get some gaming he's talking about the savard speakers having a plus three db and crossover now he said plus four. Oh, plus three okay good yeah so what what's happening on this a lot of times and it's always different uh but i didn't think to explain this in the video itself and it's hard explaining in chat so what's happening is the plus three B, that's the highest the tweeter can be. And oh, they have a switch where you can hit it between plus three B and zero? Zero and then minus three DB. So what's happening is you're at zero and then you have minus six DB. So three B is the loudest. Zero technically would be minus three DB on their scale and minus three DB would be minus six DB. So it's just attenuation is all it is. And they're putting that number up there. They're... They can't physically add more 
volume to that, but they're just telling you that the highest volume is plus and, and that the and that, minus three dB is zero. And that's Tyler really typical. It's really typical in car audio. It's not at all typical. Well, it used to be typical actually in older vintage speakers. They'd actually have a variable um, on the tweeter on the back, which is which actually just allows you to to control the volume of the tweeter. It's uh, yeah. it's like a little potentiometer on the back. But uh, this yeah, particular <laughs> the reason the why the reason why they do that in car audio though is because. They know, they don't know, I should say, where your tweeter is going to be in relationship to your right. woofer. And so if your tweeter is right in your A pillar, pointed right at your face, guess what? That plus three dB is going to be way too hot right. on you. You're going to need to turn it down probably negative three dB or zero. And, and that's why I appreciate that because what that gives you is six dBs to play with. Which so most lot. of them, most, yeah, most of them are just zero or minus three dB. And that's why I say when you get an extra switch, even though it's technically not plus 3 dB, there is 6 dB of play. So that's why I like that in a passive. So I have a question for you guys. Um, all right. So in car audio especially, although this, I think this is applicable to even home audio, uh, we see different types of speakers. We see two-way, three-way, and four-way, which is the best. And by the way, two-way, three-way, and four-way means that there's different crossover points between those, right? There'd be four drivers in a four-way, three drivers in a three-way, two drivers in a two-way, and then corresponding crossovers between those drivers. So, so wait, two, three, or four-way, which is the best? Um, I would say four-way because I want a subwoofer, a mid-bass, a mid-range, and a tweeter. The it's a absolute best sound would be a single driver that could cover everything from 20 hertz up to 20,000 hertz with yeah, no show me those. at all. <laughs> yeah, get me one. So yeah, here's, me one. <laughs> here's the truth about it. This is my, this would be my answer. And it's kind of funny because we all have a different answer. Uh, by the way, I do agree with you, Justin, that would be the best thing if we could do that. It's, it's just, physically impossible is the problem. At least right now that with, with the stuff that we know about, um, my answer would be it, you can't you can't look at speakers that way. You can't look at a four way and say it's going to be better than a three way, or a two way and say it's going to be better than than uh, you know a three way or four way. And the reason why is because you don't even know how they're going to be crossing over. I mean, if you cross over a four way bad, I mean we've all heard bad three ways where two ways have sounded significantly better, and we've all heard bad four ways where three ways or two ways have sounded significantly better. And so. I would just say a good design crossover for those drivers is the best one. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm never gonna design a passive, so it's always DSP for me. And just give me the drivers. Just I, the drivers. give me the drivers. I'll make them sound good because I want to be able to cover every spit. See, my my whole mindset is totally different because now I would love to have everything from 500 and above in one speaker. That would be part. That's the perfect two way. If I could get a true subwoofer that will play up to 500 hertz very well, no need for another sub, and then a single driver for 500 hertz up, that would be good. But, but see, like my problem is I like to play my bass hot, and I think you guys do too. And so when you start putting 500 hertz in there and you start trying to play your subwoofer hot, yeah, you know, then you start getting your vocal, your male vocals, especially hot. So I would probably rather have it be. Like 
120 or 100 or maybe 80 somewhere in that range subwoofer yeah. crossover then a then a mid-range so now you're talking about a three-way um well <laughs> or even a 2.1 but yeah probably i see i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't really want it to be a so in home audio we would call it a 2.1 basically because yeah. what i would rather have is the subwoofer amplified on its own amplifier versus like the dinos are yeah. Because I like to be able to play with that bass and turn it up and down, but I also don't want the vocals in it. So you see uh, companies like Golden Ear Technologies and Definitive Technologies, they um, they do they do that with the powered subwoofer and, and then, you know, the mid-range and the tweeter separately, and I like that. Yeah. Or you could use one of those fancy notch filters we were talking about earlier to notch out the frequencies you don't want. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So guys, but yeah, it's it's the difference that. between you know home audio and car audio. Car audio, you're in an enclosure already, so uh, your mids. If you have an eight inch that'll play up to five hundred, you're gonna get some reflections. <laughs> you're gonna get some cabin gain a lot easier than you would in, in home. You know, it's very very difficult. You really uh, have to be pushing a decent amount of power or a decent amount of cone area to get the bass that you feel like you need or want. Yeah. And, and a lot of times it's multiple subwoofers. I mean, and people do that in cars too, but it's, it's typically still in the trunk. I mean, most of the time, and there are some people that do under the seats and things of that nature, but I think typically it's, it's more trunk when you're thinking like a normal vehicle. Guys, I want to talk about something a little bit technical here. Um, I want to talk about the difference between AC current and DC current and how it's, the AC current that makes a, a speaker cone moving possible and be this whole passive crossover concept possible because you know, AC current doesn't act the way you might think it would. And the way these, you know, little bit simple components, I mean, can you imagine something simpler than just a bunch of wire wrapped around in a circle, right? The, the way these things work is that they're basically variable resistors and, and, and they, so they provide different amounts of resistance depending on the frequency you push through. So if you were to put one of these caps in line with your tweeter um, at very high frequencies, there's very little resistance. And at very low frequencies, there's a lot of resistance. And you've heard people say that uh, passive crossover networks will eat up your power. Rob, you've heard that in car audio. And that's where that's coming from. Because if you send you know, mid-range through your tweeter, uh, to your tweeter, and this is here blocking the mid-range, that's power that you just created at your amp and just wasted when you send it down the line. Um, and my question is, why would an active crossover not do the exact same thing? You going to handle this one, Nick? No, you unmuted yourself. <laughs> I saw you unmute saw. yourself and get excited. So was... <laughs> well, no, I think that because an active is just simply, you're not going to send that power to there. It's an electronic. It's not, that's the difference between analog and electronic. You're just not sending the power through that. You just cut it off before it even starts. And, and you said, you know, has anyone ever tested this? I would like to see how, I, I don't know that I've seen it, but I would like to test it myself and see how much power you, you do lose in a, in a resist, in a uh, passive crossover. You can, you can show that right in when I see it. The truth of the matter is, you can match up, you know, your drivers to fit your, you know, to fit whatever you're going for. If you're trying to go for like an 88 decibel system or 97 or whatever, but 
I mean, most of the time, it, it just goes through the resistors. The resistors, the, there's a thing called power dissipation. Basically, what power dissipation means is the lower frequency you are, the more power your speaker is going to be getting. And the higher in frequency, the less power it's going to be getting, right? So if we take, for example, a subwoofer and someone says, hey, I want to make my 4-ohm subwoofer into an 8-ohm subwoofer. What if I just throw a 4-ohm resistor in front of it? You can't do that. Like, I mean, I guess technically you you could do that, but it's not a good idea because all of your power is going to be shown there. So people say, well, why can I now put that resistor on a tweeter? And that's because power dissipation, by the time we're getting to the tweeter, the tweeter's seeing like one or two watts. And it's not seeing anything anymore. And so, you know, there's there's that confusion, I think, too, because people will see these power ratings on Twitter and they'll say, well, why? Like they'll go on Parts Express website and they'll see a tweeter that's like, you know, can only handle 10, de uh, 10 watts. They're like, well, I can't, I need something that needs 100 watts. You're like, no, you don't. <laughs> if you played 100 watts for that tweeter, you're going to be deaf. I mean, most likely. So, uh, you know, I, not to say that you wouldn't. I mean, there's definitely cases where you you could you could play a lot of wattage for a tweeter, like a PA system or something of that nature. But yeah, and you know, I think people, if you've never messed with uh, DIY speakers or raw drivers, uh, a lot of them are running it's like 10, 15 watts, 20, 25 watts. Uh, especially when you're talking about the smaller drivers, you know, the full range. <laughs> Drivers yeah. and people kind of don't get that. Well, and a lot of people don't understand too, where you cross over your speaker depends a lot on how much wattage your speaker can take. The sooner you cross it over, guess what guys, the more wattage it's going to be able to take. Uh, that's just, that's I, just. I got to stop you and ask you, what do you mean by sooner? Um, so like well, if I mean, you cross over a speaker at 120 Hertz, it's going to be able to take typically, I should say typically. So if you it's do a take, high pass 120 Hertz, you mean? Right on a bookshelf okay. speaker on your, on your mids in your car or whatever, it's going to be able to take a lot more wattage than it is if you cross over at 60 Hertz. Right now, I, I want to bring this up too, because we haven't talked about this. This is the one thing where a lot of people get in trouble. They, they use online calculators for crossovers and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. You're probably not going to get the result you want. But one thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is the impedance curve of a driver. So if you if you don't know what that means, go to Parts Express website, click on any of their speakers, click on documentation, and they should have one that shows the stats of the speakers. Every date and audio one will have it. It'll show an impedance curve, and it'll show this on that. Yeah. Okay. Good. I do. I have a bunch too, but that's fantastic. I mean, but it'll show the impedance curve going up. And then back down, it'll, it'll peak at what we call its resonant frequency and then it'll go back down and then it'll go back up. And a lot of people are under the assumption that a four ohm speaker has this flat linear um, impedance and it's, it's not. So keep that in mind when you're designing a crossover as well, you know, that your impedance curve fluctuates and it will fluctuate. The final speaker will fluctuate. It will not be a, a straight four ohm or eight ohm impedance all the way across the other really odd thing that happens with a passive crossover and i went and i looked a little bit of this up earlier because i want to make sure i understood it and i had these flashbacks to high school math classes uh you know what exactly is a sine wave um when you pass that ac signal through this capacitor right let me let me pull up my reference to make sure i've got this right um, in a capacitor, the current leads the voltage by 90 degrees. And I think that's probably like right at the crossover point. So this is something that's really weird. You run that AC current through here and, you know, go on the way in, 
the, the voltage and the current are exactly the same, right? But on the way out, they're not coming out at the same time. One of them is 90 degrees away from the other. And where that becomes a problem is if you've got a, a second order high pass and a second order low pass, right at that crossover frequency, uh, these four components are going to come together and you're going to find that your tweeter and your mid-range are exactly 180 degrees out of phase right at the crossover slope, right, right at the crossover point. And when that happens, you get this big blank spot in your sound right there. So what we're talking about is a Linkwitz-Riley second order crossover. A Linkwitz-Riley second order crossover will will have this big dip down. And the reason why it has that big dip is because like you said, they're 180 degrees out of phase. So if you guys want to know what out of phase sounds like, take a pair of bookshelf speakers or any speakers that you have around, wire one positive and negative on one speaker and then wire it opposite on the other speaker. So negative to positive and then listen to it. ASP. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Yeah. And then listen to it and it will sound all, you'll be like, what is going on? That's out of phase. And that's what happens at the crossover point. So with a link with Riley second order, you actually flip around the positive and negative on one of your drivers. It doesn't matter if it's a mid range or tweeter. Most people just do the tweeter and you flip it around. So the negative that would go to the positive on the tweeter and the positive would go to the negative. And by doing that, then you get a nice flat response through the crossover region when done correctly. When yes, done phase. correctly. <laughs> yeah, so th it's it's neat because I've ran into people who said, well, what's wrong with my crossover? Or, you know, it just sounds weird at certain songs. And it's because they wired it out of phase with the, with the tweeter. And so whenever I sell plans, I try to always mark on there, flip, you know, make sure that your tweeter is the opposite, <laughs> wired opposite. If, if it, if it's applicable. Rob, you're real quiet. What do you think? Yeah, man. So you guys went too deep. <laughs> you guys went too deep. Now I'm just, <laughs> no, but I, I get I get what you guys are saying. But so what's the what does a Butterworth or Bessel? How does that differ from what what you were talking about before? Link with Riley. Yeah. Well, they they're all gonna differ in the crossover region as far as what what you're gonna get in the crossover region. Whether you're gonna get a plus or a dip, whether you're gonna get a rise or a dip or a flat response. But the truth of the matter is, ignore it. I mean, if you're beginning out and you don't know what we're talking about and you want to get in the passive crossovers, just ignore that stuff. Don't figure it out. I, I just think that you're trying to go too deep into something that right now you need to learn about the basics more before you drown yourself in that. Most people don't have any idea what type of crossover they've built. Right. And, and my, my advice is just DSP everything. Let's quit messing with this passive nonsense and we'll just do it electronically and not have any worries unless Ford or Kia or somebody decided to tweak your system before you can even get a clean signal out. My my advice is just get the kicker key. <laughs> I think, think the kicker key could actually be fooled by a plus. We, me and Dean were talking about this last week because they have the fake center channel in some of these cars. And uh, it can not pass that without a key lock in line. Hmm. 
Interesting. I, I wish that the 5.1 was more in-car audio, not, not because I, you really need it, but you know, it's just kind of neat. Like a lot of these have like DVD players and stuff in them. Now, although I guess now more of them are all digital now, but especially when the DVD range was going on, like that would be cool to be able to just sit in your car and relax and listen to. You know, I would say this, I think, I think everyone should attempt to build a, a passive crossover network at least once. Cause if you've got, if you've got soldering iron, I mean, the schematic isn't that hard to read. It's not that hard to figure out, buy, you know, buy a kit and just try wiring one up. Uh, it's not that hard to do. Uh, and it's, it's definitely worth the effort because you learn a whole lot about how these things go together and what these parts do just by wiring one up and, you know, designing your own is a whole higher level of magnitude with their software that help you with that. Is it called XM? Is that right, Nick? Yeah, there's a bunch. So Jeff Bagby has some free software out there. It's a little harder to run because some of the newer Excel programs just don't run it as well. But um, if you look up Jeff Bagby software, he's a passive crossover designer. That's a good one. XM is also free. XM is a little bit harder because you have to kind of know what components to put where, where passive crossover designer does a rough figuring out for you automatically. It'll just kind of give you a rough guesstimate based off of what what parameters you put in. Like if you want to cross over 1800 Hertz, it'll start giving you some ideas of what the component values might, might need to be. But it's not an impossible thing to do. I mean, just, if you just mm -hmm. you know, read up on it a little bit, or you know, like I said, start with the kit, um, start with the kit. Oh yeah. Just get, just pick up the date and audio point, uh, point source series and forget the crossovers altogether. Well, I mean, actually <laughs> you should, you should still do a baffle step correction circuit for that. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is the, uh, if you have a good measurement microphone, I believe that you should start with a passive crossover because I believe too many people are jumping into DSP and they're not getting the results that they want because they just don't understand enough of what's going on. And I think being able to visualize that helps a lot. And even if you don't do that, at least get a measurement microphone so you can see what's going on with the individual drivers. And then you can kind of understand what it is that you're hearing and equate it with what you're seeing. Listen, old man, I'm not going to listen to vinyl. I've got CDs and that's what I'm going with. Guys, I just looked at the clock. We've actually gone over an hour. Um, we were a little bit leery about doing a crossover episode because we were like, I don't know, can you talk about crossovers for an hour? Sure, you can talk about anything audio for an hour. This is the funnest topic in the world. <laughs> it's a blast coming here and doing it with these guys. Uh, before we wrap up, before we sign off, um, Rob, what have you got coming up on your channel? What's, what's coming up that you want to talk about? So if you like this nerdy talk, Wednesday we have a guy named Aaron Hardison you guys may or may not have heard of. He does some very in-depth testing, and he's going to be on 12 e Talk on Wednesday. And, of course, Thursday, uh, me and Dean are going to be cutting it up, talking about who knows what. Could be anything. Could be Star Wars. Could be cardio. Who knows? But that's what I got coming up. What about you guys? Nick, what do you uh, got? I got that $80 subwoofer build that I think you guys are going to really like. It It's amazing. I mean, it really does shake the house. I'll just give you guys a heads up. I mean, we had some people outside working on the house, didn't know they were out there, threw up um, Live Diver Pete, Edge of tomorrow on the screen was testing it out with my kids came back down saw them and they said holy crap what were you doing your entire house was shaking uh, and that's pretty impressive for an 80 dollars sub especially because most 80 dollars subs can't get those subsonic frequencies that play in the beginning of edge die and repeat i also just did a video on this tube preamp this is aima 
Uh, and this thing is actually really nice. I really like it. It's got uh, USB, Bluetooth, and aux on it, as well as headphone. If you haven't seen the video, uh, I was actually impressed. It's also got a, I think I said it's got a DAC on it as well. Uh, and then, of course, check out that JBL build if you want. I, I go over, actually, the crossover in it. I don't, I don't give away the crossover, but I, I show you what I did, and you can see the response as well. Uh, and that's kind of near the end of the video. So, you know, especially since we're talking about crossovers, I think that might be something that would that you might enjoy. Well, guys, I finally finished my home theater build. This is one of those projects that's just, I don't know, it's snake bit. I kept kept putting it off. Things kept coming up. I, I wrapped that up this weekend, and I'm going to edit that footage down this week. My patrons on Patreon have already got a sneak peek of some nice woofer flex from that thing, and it's sounding great and looks fantastic. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to launching that video and uh, getting that project finished i'm not i'm not looking forward to dragging that big heavy sofa up the steps into the tv room where we can listen to it which is what i'm going to do after the show so all right any last words guys yeah yeah if if no if anybody noticed this big white yes that is a huge white bandage on my neck i had a small uh small cyst taken off so yeah that's why i had this in here I, I, nobody mentioned it so i don't know if they noticed it i figured i'd point it out before we leave you've done a good job hiding it Every, yeah. Everyone everyone that's listening on the podcast is going to be like, what is he talking about? Yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll leave on the website. I'll leave a picture of what they removed so you guys can see what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Wait, no. <laughs> All right, guys. On that, I'll see you all on the next adventure. We're, we're out of here. All right. See, see you. Guys. Ya.